Um, in lieu of a normal episode this week, we had a hard time getting everyone's schedules coordinated, so we're going to try something new. Let us know if you like it. Um, it's called, we're calling it tentatively Real Rex, um, and we just individually recorded um, what we've been watching, listening to, playing, and so it's it's kind of a catch-all pop culture thing, so you might hear about video games, you might be hear, hear about podcasts or music we've been listening to, or TV shows we've been watching. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm recording this before I've listened to everyone else's, so I don't know if there's any crossover. I, my suspicion is that there's one crossover maybe with, with Missy, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't really know the shape this is going to take, but if you like it, let us know. Um, rate, review, share, etc. The episode on all your podcatchers and all your social medias and things like that. And uh, yeah, our next regularly scheduled episode is going to, I think, is going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once and Cobra Kai. Those are two separate episodes um, that'll be going up somewhat soon. Um, so you have that to look forward to, but we'll get right into it. So the first thing I wanted to talk about, which is going to be kind of hard to talk about because I do think that you should go into this relatively spoiler free is a film called barbarian it's a horror film uh, that just recently came out it was directed by one of the whitest kids you know um and written by one of the whitest kids you know um sort of like a starts out kind of like psycho for airbnb and that's very much what the trailer wants you to think it is and then it goes off the rails um <laughs> it's a lot and uh it's very good. It's very... The tone is really interesting um, because it's not a horror comedy, but it's very funny a lot and very weird. Um, and I really liked it. It kind of kept me on my toes. It's it's real offbeat and I, I kind of didn't know what to make of it in a good way in some spots. And it also does a thing that I really enjoy in most horror movies, which is just good advice if you're making a horror movie in general, which is to rip off Spielberg, or not Spielberg, sorry, rip off Hitchcock as much as possible. So there's shades of Psycho, very much shades of Psycho, like from the get-go, Psycho. Uh, it's probably the number one inspiration as, and then uh, there's some North by Northwest in there and some Vertigo, and yeah, it's always... Always a good idea if you're making a horror movie to rip off Hitchcock. But that's kind of all I want to say about it. Bill Skarsgård's really good in it. Justin Long's really good in it. Um, Georgina Campbell's really good in it. Um, yeah, just really good performances all the way around. And just like the the sort of twists and turns it takes are very kind of jarring and bizarre in some really weird, unexpected ways that I found really refreshing while also being pretty by the numbers in a good way it's a weird movie and you should you should check it out if you're a horror fan it's been a really really great year for horror films and barbarian is definitely um continuing in that tradition the other movie i watched was confess fletch which is the uh fletch reboot slash third in the series technically starring john ham as uh, i am Fletcher as opposed to Chevy Chase. It's very good. It's an R-rated uh, whodunit comedy for adults. And I don't mean that because there's like dirty jokes or whatever, but it just like, it's it's just kind of like people talking. Like that's the whole movie. And it's really funny. And there's a lot of good one-liners. Like John Hamm's such a smart ass in this movie. John Slattery plays sort of his editor or former editor at least. And, uh, it's really, really, really entertaining and good. Um, the central mystery is that someone dies in Fletch's Airbnb, and so he helps the cops investigate that, but he's such a smart ass, uh, smart ass that the cops kind of... He's suspect number one, and he's not doing himself any favors by doing it. And it's just like, it's really cleverly written and plotted and paced. It's a little too long at the end, I think. I think you could have maybe made it an hour and a half, but it's only an hour and... 48 minutes or something or 98 minutes something like that it's not long but you could have shaved maybe eight or ten minutes off but it's really really funny there's some really like hilarious situational comedy in it there's some really hilarious one-liners there's some 
some great physical comedy from Annie Mumlo from Barb and Star. Uh, yeah, I really liked it. And I hope there's a sequel. I, I don't think there will be. I think this will unfortunately go the way of the nice guys where the people who saw it loved it and the people who didn't never will unless they're forced to. So yeah, you should check it out. It is in theaters and it's available to rent and purchase, I believe, on um, all the streaming platforms as well. But they just didn't market the damn movie at all. So uh, yeah, Confess Fletch is really, really good, especially if you're a John Hamm fan. I think it's a no-brainer. His... <laughs> The way he reacts to certain situations or things people say is very, very, very funny. Um, that's it for movies. It's been pretty light for movies. Uh, I have a short TV thing. I finally started Better Call Saul. And I'm only three episodes in to season one at this point. It's going to take me a really long time to watch this. If for whatever reason we do a Real Rex Volume 2, I'll probably still be talking about Better Call Saul. Um, and it's not bad. As a matter of fact, it's very good. But it's very slow, but in a very confident way, which I really, really like. Um, it it It... It is, one, trading in on the goodwill that, you know, Breaking Bad fans have earned for this creative team um, to do a lot of legwork that I think will eventually pay off in very, like, satisfying, big ways. And I'm really interested, like, that's what the momentum of the show is. It's, it's pretty slow where I am right now, but I think it's going to eventually pick up. And it's this is one of those rare times where I think it might it may not pick up until like maybe two or three seasons in. But the journey to that is just as compelling because these performers are compelling, because this writing is compelling. And I think Vince Gilligan, more than just about anyone making TV right now, understands how to make TV. It's a very different beast from movies and it can be very hard for me i've talked about this before it can be very hard for me to jump into it can be very hard for me to get into it because if i have to watch something for you know if someone's like oh you got to give it a season before it kicks in then no i don't i don't have to do that and i'm not going to but <laughs> if the journey to that kicking in is as like compelling and interesting and fun and funny as Better Call Saul is, then yeah, I'm willing to put in that legwork because I like these characters. These characters have also, for the most part, earned a lot of goodwill from me, like I said, from Breaking Bad, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. So I'm really interested to see where it goes. I think it might take its time, but in a very, like, assured way instead of not knowing where it's going. I think it's clear that it knows where it's headed. Also, Michael McKean is in it. And I love that dude, so I'm definitely going to stick with it. And everyone I've talked to who watched Better Call Saul has told me it's better than Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad is like my favorite show of all time. So, yeah, uh, that's what I've been watching on TV. Um, also, What We Do in the Shadows, which is great. You should watch it. Um, don't really want to talk about that. In depth, in depth, we're still not done with the season. But it's great. For, uh, it's four seasons in now, and it's consistently one of the funniest things i watch on tv um playing i recently played this game called the pedestrian yes i play more than pinball um it's like a little puzzle game sort of in the like portal super liminal vein that's sort of like a 2d platformer puzzly thing you can play through it in like i don't know mine took me probably four or five hours uh it's real good uh, it's pretty straightforward by the numbers. You're not going to get anything like crazy amazing out of it, but it's the pleasure. The puzzles are all very clever and fun and interesting. And there's some like kind of funny stuff that happens sometimes. Um, yeah, it's just kind of an off the beaten path game that you should probably check out, especially if you have access to like game pass or something, cause it's on game pass. So the investment's not very big. Additionally, I recently played tunic and loved that. It's a very like old school Zelda, like, isometric uh rpg adventure puzzle thing i really enjoyed playing around in that world i really really liked it um yeah and then what i've been listening to i listened to a 
podcast recently called The Sunshine Place, which is about a uh, cult called Synanon that happened in California, I believe, in the 70s. It's really interesting. It's a C-13 production, um, and it's produced by, like, Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, and it just follows... The, the, the host is a woman who... Her dad was in Synanon and was a high-ranking official in in this cult and it started as a rehab and became a pretty dangerous cult and so it's pretty it's pretty compelling i don't love true crime podcasts or true crime anything really it kind of grosses me out but i like cult stuff so if there's a cult involved and no one's like not a lot of people have died i i'm more into that um so it's worth checking out i've also started listening to something called good cult which is very similar it's about a man who grew up in a cult investigating his time with that cult and i don't think i will continue it even though i listened to half of the episodes the tone is just not great for the subject matter um it's a little sunshiny uh pun for the last one not intended um and then he gets into interviews with people who have had their lives ruined by this cult and he plays it. he doesn't play that off as jokey but he plays other aspects of the show off is jokey and it just doesn't sit right with me also word of advice if you're going to have a 30 minute podcast don't make 10 percent of it ads uh that just that's very off-putting to me so don't do that um yeah i think that's everything uh pretty sure um so yeah uh barbarian confess fletch better call Saul, the pedestrian the sunshine place and all all things you should check out if you haven't already. I'm sure most of you have probably already watched Better Call Saul. I'm just very bad at watching TV. Um, Andor's out. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, yeah. Um, you can follow me at MJSmith891 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter and Instagram. That's my other podcast uh, where we're talking about the uh, films of Steven Spielberg. Um our episode on 1941 just came out. It's a very bad movie, but it's a very good episode and you should check it out. Uh, let's see. I don't think I have any podcast appearances out right now. Gag Me With a Chainsaw is out. Uh, I talked about Psycho 2, which is an excellent horror sequel that you should definitely check out and then listen to our episode on. Um, also hosted by a couple uh, Bakersfield homies. So yeah, uh, on to the next person. I was too lazy to download transition noises. This is Michael Morey with a mini-sode on what I've been watching currently. So like many of you, I've checked out this Amazon Prime Lord of the Rings series called The Rings of Power. It's set in the Second Age, which is a time before the Lord of the Rings movies where Sauron is coming to power and he's making the One Ring to rule them all, blah, blah, blah stuff. Anyway... The point is, is that it's a well-made, gorgeously produced, incredibly beautiful looking and good sounding show that's ultimately a boring piece of crap because I don't care about any of the characters in it. It's amazing how you can go and get all the technical aspects of something right, but then you don't care about any of the people in it because they've given you nothing to work with. It's not like any of the acting is bad or anything like that. It's just the writing lets almost all the characters down. And after about four episodes now, which is about four hours of content involving these characters, I don't care about any of them. Versus you even take one Lord of the Rings movie, and that's about two and a half hours. I cared about seven or eight characters after one of those. All these characters just kind of seem like low-rent versions of the movie trilogy characters so far. None of them have really made an impact. And then some of the characters who are kind of represented in the film trilogy, Galadriel and Elrond, they have very poor imitation replacements of uh, recasts in this film or in this TV show. And so it's hard to really get invested in their characters either, even though they're returning characters in a sense. It also made me start watching the Lord of the Rings movies again and appreciating that despite the fact that it went and set this precedent for the modern age of epic filmmaking and how it was done, Peter Jackson actually added a lot of 
kind of cheesy parts to it. I actually didn't realize or remember how many kind of funny or idiosyncratic camera techniques he went and used in it. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Sam Raimi flexing his muscles a bit in some of his more recent movies that even though he's, for example, working within the Marvel film studio formula in the Doctor Strange Mountain or Multiverse of Madness, he kind of still had his own thumbprint on it, how it looked and felt. And you see that in Peter Jackson's work as well in Lord of the Rings. There's some interesting first-person viewpoint um, shots. There's a lot of slow motion. There's some really corny scenes and characters throughout. But there's something that's very endearing and sincere about how those movies were made. And overall, he had a sort of artistic vision behind it. And I contrast that with the Amazon show, which it just feels extremely sterile. It looks great, yes, but this just feels like it's made by a committee. It's just like this, oh, we just translated the concept art, and aren't you guys happy? Aren't you guys pleased? Give us, give us claps. Please clap. And it doesn't sort of evoke any sort of passion from anything. The acting is just all so stale. The way it's shot is there's no sort of distinguishing like moments where you feel like the director's style is coming through. And I also go and contrast this with what I'm currently watching as well, which is the Star Wars spinoff TV series on Disney Plus called Andor, which basically involves the exploits of the titular Cassian Andor, who was a character from Rogue One, a Star Wars story, Trademark Incorporated. And it revolves around him in his original rebellion days before the Rogue One movie took place because he dies in that. Spoilers. And uh, it starts off with, so far, three episodes, which all came out at once, which you kind of need to all watch at once because you would be extremely satisfied just watching one of those out of context. And it's very slow moving. That being said, despite being slow moving, which is a similar criticism I can lobby at The Rings of Power, I care more about what's happening in Andor because I care about the character of Andor and maybe one or two other characters that they introduced in the ensemble so far. Also, there's a little bit of Tony Gilroy's style behind it. And now he granted he's not the director of the first three episodes, but even in the direction of those episodes, as well as the writing, you get the sense that there's some sort of authorial intent that there's some sort of directorial intent behind it there's camera shots that were made that were more than just the traditional shot reverse shot of someone's face and then someone else's face talking there's one scene where one character is getting ready to kind of go to bed or seduce another character and there were some very deliberate camera angle choices that were made with like curtains and things like that and people kind of looking at angles that were a little non-traditional that felt like, hey, there's a professional in the room making this. There's, there, the adults are back in Star Wars for a moment. Granted, it could go and totally blow up in another couple episodes. We got nine more to go of this season, and I suppose there's another 12 that come after this. But it just goes to show how you can be right technically on some things, but if you don't have any sort of passion, you don't have any sort of characters, it means nothing. So I think Andor is succeeding at being a slow, kind of methodical show, whereas The Rings of Power is not, because I can't latch on to anything. There's no hook. There's really no characters I care about so far. They're all very pretty people in very pretty lands doing pretty things, and I don't care about any of it. So try to go and ground your stories with characters that people care about, with motivations that are sympathetic and relatable. And with direction to add some verve, to even slow scenes. You can make slow scenes exciting and tense. I mean, I didn't, obviously I know that Cassie and Andor is going to live through this whole series so he can get to Rogue One to die, but I still felt a moment of tension in these episodes where he was kind of under investigation. He had to make an escape by the end of the third episode. So you can make a show, a show that has a predetermined outcome exciting still. We all know what's going to happen in Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, but it's so boring. And then this, in Kansas and Andor, I know it's going to happen, and it's not boring because there's a little bit of verve to how it's filmed. There's uh, there's just way better acting, there's way better casting, and it's just better written. 
So, um, so far, I recommend watching Andor. We'll see if I live to regret this recommendation. And I would say hit the snooze button on Rings of Power. Corey, write us some transitions, please. Hey everybody, it's Core with Real Perspective here to bring you my real recs or real recommendations. Uh, Misty suggested we call these segments that. I don't know if that actually made it into other people's segments in their recordings, so I'm kind of taking a gamble, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, these are my real recs. And I know Real Perspective is a film podcast, like we talk about movies, sometimes TV shows, different things like that, but... My recommendation or my real rec is actually going to be video game related because I am a very avid video gamer. I've played video games for as long as I can remember. They're one of like my first loves, I think. You know, you have those things that when you're growing up that you really latch on to. Video games are like that for me. So a video game that I've been playing recently and I've really been enjoying it is actually God of War. Now, God of War is a long-running franchise mostly associated with PlayStation. It's developed by Santa Monica Studio. And I am playing the God of War remake, reboot, soft, re-something that came out in 2018. Now, I say that because there's been a handful of God of War games over the last, like, I don't know, 20 years. There's been a lot of them. But this game is kind of a soft reboot of the whole franchise. And that was kind of what interested me about it. So a little bit of backstory about God of War. God of War is one of those games that falls kind of in like the hack and slash action genre. And that's a very like loose descriptor. But other games I would compare it to are games like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta where there is a high emphasis on action and like quick response time and mastering like technical controls so you can do like awesome combos. That's kind of like one of the core staples of the God of War gameplay. Now back in the day when I would say God of War was kind of in its heyday uh, with like the first three mainline games and there's been a lot of other games after that. I never actually played any of the original God of Wars. I like this genre of like the hack and slash action combo stuff, but I got a lot of that from the Devil May Cry franchise. So I played all of the Devil May Cries. I played Devil May Cry 3 so much, but that's kind of where I got plugged into that. And then later I played some of the Bayonetta games, which are fantastic. I would highly recommend both of these series if you like action and that kind of technical prowess with combos and stuff. But I never got around to playing God of War. And yeah, it wasn't for like dislike of the franchise or anything. I just never made my way to it. So fast forward a number of years, probably 2019, I had a coworker that I was working with. He was upgrading to a PS5 or I can't remember when the PS5 came out. So maybe it was 2020. I don't know. Everything is kind of a blur. But anyway, he was upgrading to a PS5. And so he could get most of his games digitally and whatever. And so he had a whole bunch of PS4 games he was just getting rid of. And he was like, do you want any of these? And I was going through them and I was like, oh, you have God of War. I've heard a lot of really good things about this. Also, a little bit of backstory. This remake, reboot of God of War that came out in 2018 at one game of the year that year. So I'd heard a lot of stuff that this game reviewed really well. It was really good. I'd heard people talk about it. And I was like, all right, I'll... I'll try God of War. So I took God of War and, you know, I promptly started playing it and I promptly stopped playing it. And not for lack of quality or interest or anything. It was just kind of the circumstances I found myself in personally. I just, my schedule, I was so busy doing stuff and just other things happening that I just wasn't able to invest the time properly to kind of let the game like sink its hooks into me. And then for whatever reason, it just kind of sat on the shelf for a number of years until last month recently when I was looking for a new game to play that is kind of my rest and relax, de-stress at the end of the game, <laughs> at the end of the day game. And I have a huge backlog of stuff that I want to play and there's nothing really new or interesting out in the gaming universe right now. Like most video gamers will tell you that now. I just feel like 
We're getting a lot of retreads and rehashes, but that's a whole thing for a different podcast. So I was like, what do I have in my backlog that I can play? And so God of War came up. I was like, oh, it's just been sitting on my shelf. I'm going to play it. And man, I have really enjoyed my time with God of War. It is really good. Now, I think two tenets that make a video game really good, at least for me, are it needs to have, number one, like really good gameplay. There needs to be some gameplay mechanic that really grabs you. So, so like, you know, whether it's fighting or it's action or it's like a racing game or, you know, it's a story-driven game, like whatever it is, there has to be some gameplay mechanic that is just implemented really well and it just feels good. So it's like if I'm playing a fighting game, it's like the combos need to feel good. Like the characters need to feel right. If I'm playing a platformer, like a 3D platformer, the character needs to feel balanced in like how they move and how they jump. They need to have like the right amount of weight to them. I don't want them to feel really floaty or like I can't control them. You want the gameplay mechanics to really lock in and be solid because that's mostly what you're going to be doing in a video game. You play the game, the gameplay mechanic should kind of just be the central foundation of the whole experience. And so if that is not good or if there's cracks in said foundation, it's just not going to be enjoyable. So you need to have a really good gameplay mechanic. The second thing I would say is the game needs to have a very interesting conceit. And so what I mean by that. Uh, like some people would say gimmick, I don't like that word, but like conceit or there needs to be like a central idea that is like the hook. So for a lot of games nowadays, you might say a, like it's the story, it's a narrative driven game. And so then the story needs to be really well done. If it's something like a fighting game, you know, it's like I said, the gameplay needs to be solid, but there needs to be some conceit that makes that fighting game different from another one. So it's like, what makes Tekken different from Soul Calibur? What makes that different from Street Fighter? There is some conceit in the actual game that makes it different. So, for example, uh, the Bloody Roar franchise. It was a short-lived franchise. Uh, this is kind of a, a, a reach. It's an old-school one. But Bloody Roar, uh, great gameplay. Like the, the gameplay mechanics are awesome. But the main conceit of that game or what grabs you, it's not the story. There's like a really loose story. But it's the whole idea that the fighters can turn into animals and that's what sets it apart from street fighter or you know tekken or any of the other ones it's like you can turn into a mole or a rabbit or a bat and then all of a sudden you're fighting each other that is like the unique conceit that that game has and so going back to my two points a game needs to have really good gameplay and it needs to have a really good conceit in god of war 2018 i'm gonna say that so we just know what we're talking about has a really good mixture of both of those things. It's got solid gameplay that just feels really entertaining to play, and it has an awesome conceit, mostly in the story and the world that they put you in. So that has been really enjoyable. And so a little bit of like what the story is about, what the gameplay is about, and then I'll kind of wrap it up because I could talk for a long time, and I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious because I don't know how long... MJ's segment or Missy's segment or Mike's segment is going to be and I have no idea it will be very interesting to hear how this episode plays out but a little bit more about God of War so from a gameplay perspective God of War is not exactly like how it used to be in some of the other mainline games to my knowledge like it was very heavy action like Devil May Cry Bayonetta like I've referenced before and so those games do have story but Honestly, the game does not really lean on the story. Uh, I feel like those games have different conceits of like uh, high over-the-top action or spectacle or, you know, like in Bayonetta, she has witch time. There's a lot of other things that drive those games forward and it's not necessarily the story. God of War 2018 is very different because the gameplay is kind of a mixture of that hyper action, but it's also a little bit more grounded in like RPG elements. And I know some of those other action games, even like Devil May Cry, they do have RPG elements, but I feel like they're to a lesser degree where God of War 2018 is a lot more of like a balance of, you know, you level up your character, you can equip different gear that gives you different skills or bonuses. There's a lot more of 
the right type of gear that you wear will dictate if you win or lose a battle. And so that's really interesting to me. I like RPGs. I played a lot of them growing up. And so I kind of like a mixture of it's not like a full on like JRPG where everything is customizable. And you have all these levels and stuff, which I do really enjoy. But I like the mixture of that plus some of the action from the God of War franchise. It's not the crazy, you know, you're getting the combos and you're getting rated for your combos and stuff. But there is like I can sense there is when you get into these battles, you feel the fluidity of the action there. And you do have to have the accuracy and the timing to uh particularly for the more advanced opponents to be able to defeat them. You have to have it. You have to like have the reaction time. You have to memorize the patterns, all of that stuff, which is very akin to those, uh, I guess like hack and slash games. The other big thing is this game has a really good story and it's really interesting. So a little bit of, uh, I guess like story background, I know this series is like two decades old, so I'm not going to necessarily spoil it, but I'll just give you some context about God of War. So God of War centers around Kratos, um, you know, the title character, the God of War, and basically his journey into, I guess, like stepping into that namesake. So Kratos is kind of set in the Greek mythology with all the gods like Zeus and uh, Ares and all of those people. And Kratos is a demigod. He's the son of Zeus. And he's a very gifted, you know, like talented. He has lots of strength and all this other stuff. And he ends up on uh, basically the wrong side of the gods because he's very gifted and talented. But he gets tricked by Ares basically into serving him. And in doing so, um, because he is just fueled by bloodlust and, you know, like war. And that's like God, you know, like Ares is the God of war. Kratos ends up killing his family. And that is kind of the thing that flips him out of just wanting to be a killer and have war to wanting to get revenge on Ares. And by, you know, like kind of going to a macro level, just like the gods in general. And so, the main line games kind of chronicle Kratos trying to get back at Ares and to get revenge on all of the gods, all of the Greek gods. So that's kind of the context. By killing his family, he's done this shameful thing that kind of haunts him, and the guilt is what kind of drives him through the games, like the guilt tied to trying to get revenge. So God of War 2018 that I'm playing through right now takes those story elements, but... I think that's something really clever where we have a huge time jump. I don't even know really what the time jump is, but it's way further in the future. Kratos is a little bit older. He has a son and he's set in this whole different world. And in some ways, like you're meeting a different character. He is the same character, but he's not. And the game starts off with Kratos and his son, Atreus, trying to basically carry out the last wishes of his wife and Atreus's mom. And so spreading her ashes where she wanted them after she has passed away. And as they start to do that, other factors come onto the scene and things start to get entwined. And it's really interesting because in this game, you know, like I said, uh, Kratos is, he's not an actual god from Greek mythology. He's based on, he's loosely based on, on a god from Greek mythology, but it's set in the whole backdrop of the Greek mythology. God of War 2018 kind of subverts that and actually like puts Kratos, you don't realize it at the beginning of the game, but slowly things start to unravel and you find out that Kratos is interacting with a lot of the Norse gods, like the Norse mythology. So, uh, you know, Thor and Odin and all of those gods like all of that mythology and so that was very interesting for me as I'm playing the game to start finding that out and I've really enjoyed the story elements of this game like probably a lot more than I thought I would but I'd heard lots of people tell me the story is really good and the story honestly in some ways feels more akin to The Last of Us please don't hang up because I said that but just wait a second <laughs> it feels more akin to The Last of Us 
um, in some ways of like the storytelling mechanics. And what I mean by that is The Last of Us really focused on you know that relationship between Joel and Ellie, and that's really what drove the plot forward. That father daughter relationship, you know, like she's kind of a surrogate daughter to Joel. And in this one, we have Kratos and um, Atreus. And even though they are father and son, you can tell, like, as the game starts, it's like they have a very strange relationship. Uh, Kratos doesn't really tell Atreus anything about him or himself. And, you know, there's a lot of mystery behind who Kratos was. Because, you know, I've given you all the backstory about, like, the franchise, but in the game, you don't really get any of that. So you're starting from ground zero with Kratos and you're trying to figure out this mystery and like all of that's kind of being driven by his relationship between him and his son. And I mentioned earlier that I think this is really brilliant in terms of trying to reboot the series because people don't need to have played any of the previous God of War games before this one to actually enjoy this game and from a story standpoint like really get all of the you know the messages and the emotions that the developers the storytellers are trying to convey in this because it's done in such a way where it's like you get some natural exposition about who Kratos is and the stuff he did and you don't need to play all the games because all of that is pertinent to this new story but like it's not the focal point of it if that makes sense you have Kratos's backstory that comes up naturally but there's other factors and there's a bigger story that's happening more about Kratos and his son so for all of those reasons, I would highly recommend playing God of War 2018. If you have not gotten a chance to, the sequel God of War Ragnarok is actually about to come out. So if you've heard anything about God of War, you've probably seen uh, that sequel. I don't know exactly when the release date is. Here, I can... I'm going to look it up right now. Oh, God of War is coming out this year. That's what I thought, but I just wasn't sure. It's coming out November 9th, and... I think there will be a lot of buzz about it. I think it's highly anticipated because God of War 2018 did so well. And yeah, I'm excited because I'll probably be done playing God of War and then want to know what happens next. So I'm like, ah, maybe another game that will slowly push me to get a PS5 because I couldn't get one because of the demand. And then also it didn't feel like there was anything worth getting right now. So Slowly, the tide is turning with that. Maybe God of War, the next Spider-Man when it comes out, Final Fantasy VII, uh, whatever the next one. Part two remake, I don't know what it's called. Rebirth, I can't remember. Their names are a little bit crazy sometimes. But anyway, that's what I've been playing. Hopefully, this is not too long because I'm not going to re-record it. But, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been playing. And, uh, oh, yeah, people said to plug my stuff. As always, you can check out Real Filmmaking on YouTube. That is R-E-E-L Filmmaking. And on the channel, I talk a lot about how to use cameras, uh, how to make movies, concepts about films, and just even some specific cameras if you have them, how to get started, how to shoot videos, whether it's YouTube stuff or make more dedicated films. So you should check that out. And yeah, so back to whoever or whoever is going next or I don't really know how this episode is going to be connected but until next time I really didn't think this part through hey everybody and welcome to Real Rex the mini podcast based on a podcast based on a YouTube channel based on a podcast my name is Missy Lonsinger and I will be your host for however long it takes me to talk about this as I'm sure MJ probably divulged to you guys, each of the Real Perspective family members is sharing some things that we currently find interesting, that we're listening to, watching, all that jazz. Uh, for you guys, I've been watching a lot, but I'm going to spare you. Uh, I'm going to do some brief recommendations for one movie, one TV show, and one podcast that I've been listening to recently. And let's go ahead and start with the film. It's uh, spooky season coming up, right? It's September, it's fall, it's no longer 115 degrees in Bakersfield, thank God. So why would I not recommend a John Carpenter film to you guys, right? Except with this John Carpenter film that I'm about to recommend from 1984, it actually does not involve any kind of masked murderer. Uh, it's called Starman, and yeah, shockingly, no murder or death. 
Uh, that's not true. I think some people die. Spoiler alert. Uh, and nor does it involve the David Bowie song, Starman, which I was a little disappointed in. I was kind of hoping that needle drop would occur, and it, it doesn't. So, again, spoiler alert. So, this movie stars Jeff Bridges and Karen Allen, uh, who you guys might remember from Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and basically, the movie answers the question of what if E.T. didn't look like a long-necked pile of human feces, but he actually looked like a human, and specifically like Jeff Bridges. Um, so basically, Karen Allen is this widow who's grieving the loss of her husband. Meanwhile, um, all the space agencies in the world, uh, we didn't have Space Force yet, obviously, send a probe out into space with this, like, message of peace towards whatever creatures or planets might hear it um, in all these different languages and an alien planet hears it and sends a life form down to earth and he is non-corporeal so he has to or it whatever you want to view it as has to take the form of something and he happens to land outside of Jeff Bridges house and takes his form um, sounds weird and it is a little but it's also pretty great uh, John Carpenter obviously one of the best filmmakers of all time. So to see him kind of take a step back from horror and, you know, delve into this, this new soiree of doing like more of a romantic film. I, I wouldn't even say it's like a romantic comedy. It's, it's kind of a, a straight down the middle romance film, which might be kind of off-putting to a lot of people, but let me remind you, John Carpenter. Okay. So yeah, so basically throughout this film, you see the relationship between um, Karen Allen's character and Jeff Bridges as he's learning to be human and she's learning to, you know, get over the loss of her husband. Uh, this one in particular, I would say, apart from the fact that again, John Carpenter is a great director, the performances are really, really stellar. Um, Jeff Bridges. I'm pretty sure he got an Oscar nom for this. Not that that actually means anything, but uh, he is great. Um, we talked, I think, in the last couple episodes about, I think it was during Nope, how really kind of groundbreaking and powerful subtlety can be in acting. And there is so much nuance uh, in subtlety to the way that Jeff Bridges kind of embodies this creature who's learning to be human. You see these little ticks, these little things that he does, and it's like, oh, shit, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what it is to be human. Why do we do that with our face when this occurs? Why, when we feel that, do we, you know, make this movement? And so it's really fascinating and interesting to watch. Uh, and then Karen Allen, man, what a beautiful performance and depiction of grief and kind of the confusion that she's feeling because she's not fully able to get closure in her grief because she's with this man who is essentially, you know, her, her dead husband um, and the feelings that that brings up in her. It's a really sweet film. Uh, one of the really cool things is a lot of times in these movies where there's an alien of some kind, there's always like a very distinct bad guy, usually a governmental agency that's like, we don't understand, let's murder it and kill it. And granted, there is, you know, that kind of aspect. There, There's governmental agencies trying to, you know, maybe hinder this alien from leaving, which he has to do because he's going to die if he doesn't uh, leave the planet after a certain amount of days. Because um, those are apparently the rules in space. Uh, but they're, they're not quite as vindictive as they're normally portrayed. And, and that's kind of a major theme that's done throughout the film is the goodness of humanity. Because a lot of times those movies are like, oh, humans are the real evil creatures. Like, we just don't understand and we don't like what we don't understand, which is a fair, you know, criticism of, of the human species. But in this one, um, as we see through Jeff Bridges' perspective, he sees the good, he sees the love, he sees what mankind could be capable of. And so he's not like trying to destroy the planet, but he does, you know, enjoys his time here and, and sees what it's capable of. He um, appreciates the love that human beings can give to one another in a way that he hasn't seen in his own species. And so I kind of appreciated that because it, it was a little more uh, subversive than your normal alien comes to earth hijinks type thing. So definitely recommend that one to you guys. Um, you know, especially if you have like a significant other, you want to watch something a little more romantic or if the word romance is off-putting in your film genres of choice, uh, just tell somebody it's a John Carpenter film and then sneak it in, you know, but that one's pretty good. Uh, as far as television goes, 
I recently finished season one of the HBO Max original series, Hacks. Uh, some of you may have heard of it. It got nominated for quite a few Emmys um, just very recently. Uh, basically, this stars Gene Smart and another actress named Hannah Einbender. Um, and Gene Smart is, is playing a female comedian named uh, Deborah Vance. Okay, And so she was a sitcom star back in the day turned stand-up comic who's been working this Vegas, same Vegas casino for like decades. But uh, she's no longer the hot new thing, so she's kind of getting edged out in favor of newer, hotter acts to bring in the young people. Um, things like uh, Lil Uzi or, or Pentatonix and, and shit like that. Uh, then on the other hand, you have this really young 20-something comedy writer named Ava who has recently been canceled because she tweeted something that was like politically incorrect and now Hollywood doesn't really want anything to do with her. And so you have these two women kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum, opposite ends of their careers, uh, trying to help each other out. It's really uh, a fascinating look at not only how Hollywood treats women, which is certainly a big aspect of it, um, but just the, the struggles that, you know, women can have, especially in comedy. And this one, I think, uh, definitely hit home a little more with me uh, as I talked about on the show before. So I, I act uh, when I'm able and I predominantly do comedy and you don't always see a lot of the perspective of women in comedy. You know, I think of um, most recently that I can think of would be the movie uh, Funny People that Judd Apatow did. And you kind of see the darkness that lies in this world of comedy. And I know there's a ton of movies out there that depict that. But it's typically through the lens of men who have been doing it. And and we know comedy in general is just a really cruel mistress, right? We see how many comedians struggle with drug addiction, um, horribly in some cases suicide. Uh, just how hard it is to have to put on that smile when you're actually suffering. And how a lot of that comedy does come from pain and from trauma. And it's no different in this show with uh, Gene Smart's character, but it is really interesting to see that added, you know, variable of the fact that she's also a woman. And a lot of women, as I'm sure most of you guys are aware, their expiration date in Hollywood is a lot sooner than men. Uh, they don't tend to be valued as much because they don't age, quote unquote, as gracefully as men do. And so to see this kind of super progressive social justice warrior, young screenwriter um, trying to come in with all her ideas and change Gene Smart's very stalwart, very, um, trying to think, oh my gosh, like George Carlin type of irreverence, it, really old school comedy. Like it's not insult comedy. I'm just saying things like they are, you know, that kind of thing. Seeing the dynamic between the two of them and having um, those two perspectives as foils for one another is really fun to watch. They're both really good actors. I will watch Jean Smart in anything. That's like a hill I will die on. She's an incredible actress, an incredible performer. So if nothing else, watch it for her. Um, but the rest of the show is really good for the reasons I mentioned before. To see kind of this delving into the struggles that women have within this industry. So if you're a woman and you're interested in that, super interesting. If you're a dude and you're like, huh, I never really thought about that before, give it a watch. See if you like it after an episode or two. Again, at the very least, you've got some really stellar performances from the actors. Um, Caitlin Olson from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is also in it. She's uh, the entitled daughter DJ of, um, of Deborah, Gene uh, Smart's character. So I recommend that one as well. Um, can't speak to season two yet, so maybe we'll we'll watch it together, y'all, and talk about it later. You guys can let me know what you think. And then finally, uh, my podcast recommendation. So there are quite a few that I listen to pretty religiously, um, but one of the newest ones that I just came across is called Pod Meets World. And if you are a millennial like I am and you really enjoyed the TV show Boy Meets World as a kid, as I definitely did, um, this is a great one to listen to, even if you weren't a fan of the show, which is fair. Um, I would still definitely recommend this one. So it's hosted by Danielle Fischel, who played Topanga on the show, uh, Will Friedle, who played Eric Matthews, and Ryder Strong, who played uh, Sean Hunter. And so they were obviously three of the main characters in the show. 
And if you like the show, you get a nice rewatch out of it and some cool behind the scenes stories. But even if you didn't watch the show, um, this podcast is such a really interesting deep dive into what was happening in the era of 90s sitcoms um, with stuff like, you know, Home Improvement, Family Matters, Full House, um, as well as the really unique perspective of these children actors who are now adults. They're now in, you know, their 40s. And they actually have fairly normal lives. So we're used to kind of hearing about child actors from 80s sitcoms who ended up, you know, becoming addicts of some kind or, you know, killing themselves or ending up in jail or having all these horror stories of of what happened to them. And these three in particular didn't have any kind of overly traumatic um, lives that were ruined by being child actors, but... It's really interesting to hear them look back on their their memories of doing this show because they started when they were like, what, 12 to 16 years old, maybe 11 years old. Uh, And so them kind of reflecting on, wow, everything seemed like rose colored and amazing when I was a kid. And this was so cool uh, to them now as adults having lived, you know, 20 something years later and being like, oh, shit, like some of this is where my trauma came from. Some of this is, you know, why I believe the things I do. And so hearing them kind of deep dive into it to, you know, dig up some of the shit that was happening backstage, whether it be in regards to how women cast members and staff, including the writing staff were treated, how people of color were treated backstage and with the show's writing in general. um, And, you know, how these basically children were, were being treated backstage is really, really fascinating. So um, if any of that sounds interesting to you, I do really recommend it. They're also just, they're very amiable and fun to listen to. Um, and again, if you like the show, even more awesome. I, I think you guys will really dig it. So those are my three brief recommendations. Um, Starman, Hacks, and pod meets world there's a lot of other great things out there that i could definitely recommend but like i said um i don't want to make you guys have to listen for five years to all the stuff that i've been watching so give them a watch give them a listen um let me know what you guys think if you loved them if you hated them or if you refuse to watch them which is you know okay too but yeah that's it for me for real wrecks